Father, we just thank you. We praise you. We worship you. For this incredible opportunity you have given us, Lord. Another 20 days to be with you alone. Away from the world. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. You used governments to lock your people in. We just want to thank you, Father. We just want to thank you, Lord. We want to look at things that are happening around with different eyes. That our God, our Father is in control and He is giving us His incredible time to spend with Him, to learn of Him, to grow stronger, to be prepared for His Son's coming any hour, any moment, that none of us should be unprepared. Oh, Father, thank you, thank you for this time, Lord. Thank you, thank you for this time. You have not given us the spirit of fear. You have not. That's your word. Therefore, we will not receive it. There's so much fear outside of the pandemic and of the brutality on the streets of the people called to enforce this lockdown. So there is fear of all kinds that we will not be afraid. We stay within the law of both God and man. And we do not fear whether this virus was forged in the pits of hell or in the labs of wicked men. We do not fear the pestilence that flies by day or night. We do not fear because we know our God is in control and our God has said, no weapon that is formed against us will prosper. Every lying tongue that rises against in its judgment, we condemn it in the name of Jesus. For the reason also you said, because our righteousness is of you. Not of us, not of the law, but of you. This is our inheritance as the servants of God. We are hidden in Christ. You have hidden us in the cleft of the rock. So even as these pestilences create fear and havoc in the world, we just see the glory of God passing us. We see differently, Lord. Your presence, your glory, your power, your might, and your sweet, sweet word is what we are looking for, Lord. So I pray all those who hear, wherever they are, are also seeing and hearing with different eyes and different ears, connecting our spirit to your realm, the real realm. Thank you, Father. Speak to us once again. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. So, as we look into the word and continue meditating upon the word, we had an incredible session in the morning. And all those who were listening online, I really, really hope you have been challenged that how you can look at the word with the naked eye or with an electron microscope and see how God speaks to us and teaches us constantly and how we as children, God's children, look at situations differently. We are not looking for, our job here is not to look for natural solutions. Leave that to the government and the medical authorities. They will try and they will find a solution appropriate to each field, the medical field, connection with the healing, vaccination, whatever, 
with the financial world, everything, the governments and the systems, let them do their work. That's not our work. <coughs> our job is to look for an eternal solution to every problem. Eternal solution. Spiritual solution. We've been given by God's grace. 21 days of social isolation. I look, I, I love it. The government can mandate 21 days to stay inside. But it's still left to us what we will do with this 21 days when we are inside. And two choices are taking place. Two choices. A choice by flesh or a choice by spirit. Something is happening, like God said. The tears are becoming tears. Wheat is becoming wheat. So, even though the message, live streaming, in 30 minutes, 15 minutes, and Facebook, and YouTube, everything is gone to, so I'm not talking to the world, I don't know, but to all the brethren within different groups, it's still a choice. Every time it's a choice. And if you're listening to somebody else who is encouraging and edifying you, connected with the kingdom of God, God bless you. But you're watching a movie. God have mercy on you. That's why Jesus sells the last church. Be hot or be cold. We don't even realize. Our choices are showing where we are. Like I said, our intention is always to give a permanent solution. That goes to the other side of life, beyond this life. In Hebrews chapter 9 and 27, any solution that is permanent should go there. Scripture says, it is appointed for men to die once. So, the governments and the system is looking for a solution on this side of death. We are looking for a solution with any problem that goes beyond this to the other side of that death. There are judgment times could be today for many people will die today you know die today through the same virus and it should be on that other side without fear confident because bible talks about three ways god uh, people reach the judgment seat one says in fear terror the other says ashamed the third says joy what of these three stages people will reach and our job as servants of god and personally is that we go with exceeding joy joy to that side. So we are looking for for permanent solutions. And the problem what God has actually shown in these months, in these two months since this has happened, the third month now, is the futility of fallacy of success on this side of life alone. If you're really successful, you need to be successful in God's sight. So the rich man, you know, at the end of the day, He's looking at himself and patting himself in the back and looking at his next acquisition and merger in today's terms. And God calls him, you fool. You fool. Your life will be demanded tonight. And we saw the other incredible story with Jesus said, a real life story, I believe, and not a parable of Lazarus and the rich man. Because in parables, he never gives a name. So we have a name of a poor man, a beggar on this side, and a rich man on who went to the other two. One man is dressed in purple, eating, drinking, living, living life as the world tries to sell it to us. 
and the poor man sitting there outside, swords from head to feet, dogs licking his wounds, looking for scraps from the rich man's table. And then scripture says on the same day, both died. And there is a separation. The Bible doesn't even describe who took the rich man when he reached hell. The demons took him. But the Bible says angels took the poor man. So we have two things over there. First thing we need to realize, you need to realize that Lazarus had faith. That's why he reached the right place. That he was absolutely, totally poor. So poverty on this life has never taken, kept anybody outside of heaven. Rich. Wealth is not a qualification to enter heaven. So the poorest man in that context reached the right place. He was sick from head to toe. So health is not a qualification to reach heaven. Okay, So these are things, health and wealth gospel is demolished by Jesus in that. Not parable, actual story. The rich man is not given a name because in hell there are no names. Like in prison, there are only numbers. That's why at the end, the Antichrist will give everybody a number. Your identity does not matter who you are in hell. But in heaven, you have names because the Lamb has a book of life where names are written, not numbers. So you have a name for the poor man and no name for the rich man. And the fallacy of success on this side of life. And all those who are rich, and if you are proud of your success, this is a very good time. Sit back and reflect. You know, reflect. Because this can make us absolutely short-sighted. Because once this crisis passes, then what? After 21 days, then what? Like here, shutdown is still April 15th. Right? April 15th. And April 16th, God willing, it will be open. And it's interesting, April 16th is when Passover is over. This year. April 16th is when Passover is over. 16th Passover is over and you can go out. Okay, I mean, it's a coincidence maybe, but beautiful coincidence. <laughs> okay. So, how will we emerge out of this 21, 25 days, 5 days are already over? How will we emerge? In Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 15 to 17, this is what scripture says. <clears throat> so then you walk circumspectly, carefully, not as fools, but as wise. God is saying, I have done everything possible to bring you to me and give you time to spend with your family and with me. With me and your family. Peace with man, peace with God. Peace with man, holiness with God. I'm giving you these opportunities. Make peace first with your closest neighbor, your spouse, your family. Okay, you are both locked in together. So make peace, make peace. Okay, redeeming the time because the days are, redeem the time. Redeem the time. You give in 25 days, 4 days, 5 days are already over. Redeem the time because the days are evil, literally evil outside. The cops are chasing people to go inside because the days are evil. There is evil, death floating in the air. Days are evil. Do not be unwise. But understand what the will of the Lord is. That by the time you come out in 21 days like Daniel did, we should be able to understand what is the will of God for us. 
are than the general will of God, abstain from this, abstain from this and all. But the personal purpose and will of God, you know, knowing that is so, so, uh, takes the weight of your life. Like once I realized the will of God for me was to serve him. Hallelujah, Lord. Okay, at least I know what I need to do with my life. And then when he narrowed it down and said, I have called you to strengthen believers. Teach only my children and not evangelize. It became easier, so I never do evangelism. Which is a huge load off your shoulder because you know evangelism is difficult. <laughs> Trying to sit with somebody and convince Jesus is the only way. I'm not saying teaching God's children is easy. That is stick to this way which you have found. Stay there. Okay, but so it makes it easy, 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 easy. And once you know the will of God in your life, and then you are the weight is gone. Then all you need is to stay there and do it. Okay, so that's what's happening. Redeem your time. Will we redeem our time? So this is as far as God can do. Put us all inside. Because he respects our free will. He uses the system. Got us all inside. Locked us all up inside our homes. And now he says, use coronavirus and the systems to get us all inside. And saw it also that so no so far no cure has come. Okay. That's why we are all quarantined. So that the host, it dies in the host body. Now question is, now that we are all shut in and we got all this time in our hands, what will we do? Will we redeem it? Or waste it? Because time has to be redeemed. It can be only redeemed, like the Bible says, we were not redeemed with gold or silver. In the old covenant, something had to be redeemed with gold or silver. Okay, meaning we can redeem the time with only what we consider valuable or precious. That's how we redeem time. Like Pastor Vijay was telling very very clearly, somebody considers this important, precious, and they redeem their time with that. Sports, music, movies, work. So people will say work is worship. For us, God is worship. Okay, God is worship. Okay, and our work becomes worship only when we do our work, whatever we do, as unto the Lord. Okay, that's when our work becomes worship. So, redeeming. Are we redeeming the time? Because I don't think this opportunity will come unless God has different ideas in our lifetime again. So, what will we do? And many, many churches in the world has risen to that occasion. Okay, they are all live streaming. Many churches are live streaming. And we are also live streaming twice a day. Giving almost four hours of teaching each day. Four hours if not more. And the purpose of teaching to the body of Christ is the same as Jesus said to his disciples whom he taught. In John chapter 15 and verse 3. The purpose of teaching is this. You are clean because of the word. Okay. You are clean because he did not say you are clean because of the miracles you witnessed and did in my name. You are clean because of the ministry you partook of. 15.3, John 15.3, if I'm right, okay? You are clean. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. That's the purpose. The word of God should cleanse us. In Ephesians chapter chapter, uh, 5.25 onwards. Now, remember, the word in itself does not clean it. It's only those who receive it and apply it. There were 12 with him till the end. One did not get cleaned. 
It did not work on him at all. Only 11 got clean. Okay. Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives. It's a good opportunity for all husbands to love your wives, except Pastor Vijay and me. Okay. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. And then, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. What is the purpose? That he might present her to himself. So we are trying as servants of God to sanctify, cleanse the church through the washing of the water by the word that we can present or God can present to himself. A glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that she should be holy and without blemish. Clean. Clean. Okay, there are Different things mentioned over there. By the washing of water by the word. So she is sparkling white, clean. Okay. Having no spot or wrinkle. Okay. Wrinkle. You see, now because we are on camera, what we do is that, uh, before we, before we put it on and come, or when we go out, we put the, we take the ironing board, we put on the iron, and we spray some water, and we steam iron the wrinkle out. So God uses fire, heat, to take the wrinkles off, straightens out. There is so much heat now. Heat now. Pressure of the situation. To take the wrinkles out. God uses different methods. Launderer's soap, refiner's fire. Okay? Washing of the water by the word he uses. Water, he uses soap, he uses fire, heat, everything he uses so that he can have a glorious, spotless, wrinkleless church. So he's using all our terms so that we understand. Okay? He's using man's language so that we understand. Okay? So that's what he did. The sanctification. By the word. That was John 17, 17. His prayer. Father, sanctify them by your word. And your word is truth. Okay? Sanctification means cleansed, made pure, and set apart for a holy use. That's my prayer. That's my prayer. At the end of this 21 April, when Passover is over and we step out into the world, this is what we become. Okay? In his sight, don't worry. He, we don't have to worry about the world. We just need to be blameless in his sight. Let people say whatever they want. It does not matter. If God says, as for now, today, you are okay, that's enough. He doesn't ask us to be okay for tomorrow, today. But today, each day, one day at a time. So we saw yesterday, last night, we saw and we're continuing the natural and the eternal. The unseen and the seen. How we learn from the seen what is happening in the unseen. The shadow and the substance. The old covenant pictures and the new covenant doctrine is explained through the old covenant stories, the pictures, the history of men and animals. So we saw when the, the intention and purpose of God behind plagues. So we had seen a few days back that when the first plague is mentioned, it's because Pharaoh had taken Abraham's wife, Sarah. He said, it's my sister. And the Pharaoh took into his harem. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh's household so that Sarah could be released. So plagues are always connected with his 
people coming out of bondage of the ruler of this world. Okay? Let my, so from beginning itself to say, let my people go. And my people should know that. Okay, now because we are living in a different dispensation altogether, that was physical, it is spiritual. We need to have the desire to come out of the bondage of this world. Exercise our free will and use all that God has given to come out of that bondage of this world. The ruler of this world. We saw Satan is the ruler of this world. A symbol is there as Pharaoh. Not all Pharaohs, that Pharaoh. And it comes out. And after that we saw again, after Egypt, Israel has been in Egypt for 400 plus years. Now again God is telling them, come out. And the thing was that, the ten plagues, one purpose. Let my people go. For what? That they will worship me and serve me in the wilderness. In the wilderness. So we look at that now. The whole question is, how do I see this world? We saw that in First Peter 2.11 yesterday. Yeah? No? Am I a beloved? I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. How do we see this world? And how do we see our life? It's a question. Do the, we, we see this world as a wilderness? Then I'm a pilgrim. Or do I see him as a citizen of this state? Then I'm not a pilgrim. How do we see? If we see this world as a wilderness, then we are pilgrims and strangers. And we are okay with it. Right? We are okay with it. Look at Joseph, Jacob, when he's an old man and is brought to Egypt, to Pharaoh. In Genesis 47 and verse 9. What he says. 47 and verse 9. And Jacob said to Pharaoh. The days of the years of my pilgrimage. Are of 130 years. He called this 130 years of life itself as a pilgrimage. Just passing through. A pilgrim is going with a very clear religious purpose. Passing through the wilderness. His focus is not here. His focus is something connected with God. So he says it's my whole life is a pilgrimage. Okay. So we are aliens, pilgrims and strangers in this place. So where are we then at home? If we are not at home in this world, we should be at home in another place. The spiritual reality. Ephesians 2.19 That should be our spiritual reality. What is it? Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Ah, Now both has to be true. Both has to be true. It is not enough to be come apart. Okay, You also have to be joined with something else. Joined with something else. We have come apart from the world, apart with God's people. That's why this is happening. This is happening. When we are live streaming, and few of you who are here, and through them, we all have come out of the world. We are aliens and strangers, sojourners there. But we are now what? Fellow citizens with whom? The saints. And the members of God's household. On earth, there are members of God's household. We are members. And we know God is our father. And it doesn't matter. There is no race. There is no difference. Nothing. Doesn't matter which country, which... We have no distinctions there. We know we are one family. One family. And if that isn't there, then 
it still hasn't worked. We just got separated from the world, but we did not get separated unto God and his people. And often Christians struggle is this. They struggle with this to get separated from the world and to be separated with God's people. They struggle with this. Some of us, we don't at all because we made this choice over and over and over until it's a habit, part of us, and we are very comfortable with it. We are very now we are very uncomfortable when we go out. Yet we know we need to go out. We do our work, but we very conscious we don't belong here. We don't even belong in a supermarket. It's so many shelves and so many so many products. We just go pick what we want. We already know what we want. We go it, pick it, and we come out. We don't loiter around like over and over with it, uh, with a cart which is bigger than you. We don't do that. You know? We just go in, pick it and come. Shopping is so easy for us. Okay, and I believe everybody who is hearing, every child of God, shopping should be such an easy thing. Not at times like this, but normal times. Shopping should be a very, very easy thing because we are very clear in our mind what we need from the world. So this morning, Pastor Vijay was trying to look deeply into these concepts of what God is trying to do with us as individuals and as church or churches. That when God uses the word punish, it is to visit and to pay attention. And he used it wonderfully. Abigail, if you are watching, my sympathy is with you, okay? Okay? Mathematically inclined, your father is. What can I say? Hmm? Don't go to Princeton, honey. Don't go, okay? All these high-flown universities have become dense of the enemy. Stay in a safe place. So let's look at the... And one thing he said, if you realize, your posture, your spiritual posture, physical posture. You see how uh, we, we all who had tough parents... You know, how uh, we all were taught about, by he knew, probably got it from his father. Like, I got it from my father. Now, we are very careful about how to walk. And my father used to make me walk before him. Don't let your knees knock straight. Okay, when you sit in the class. All kind of things parents used to do in these old days. Keep a book on your head so that it doesn't fall. You sit straight, back is straight. All those things you are not allowed to lie down and read. None of these things we were allowed. It was all got to do with a posture. Okay, with a posture, because a physical posture, and now God is telling to us about a spiritual posture. The spiritual posture is incline your ears. Incline. There is an inward reality which only God sees. So what does spiritually it means? How can I incline my ears? My spiritual ears. Physical ears, you can go to the extreme level of standing like this. But how do I incline my spiritual ears? What is the inward reality that God is looking for? Remember a few days back and all the churches, every church has to go back to that core area when you are, when you are going through a situation like this, which you find in Second Chronicles chapter 7, 13 and 14, no? where God says, When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. So drought, famine and plague. When I do it, he says, well, I'm doing it. He's overall in control. Okay, please understand that. Drought, famine or plague. Then he says there is a solution. The solution doesn't lie with the world. Temporary solutions are all with the world. They will try, try. Spiritual solutions are only with God's people. If my people who are called by my name, 
And he says four things. Humble, pray, seek, turn. Simple. Okay, remember that in your in your system, deep in your spirit. Humble, pray, seek, turn. But the first thing he says is humble. That is an inward reality of how you incline your ears. The first thing God looks for is not pray. First thing God is not even looking whether you are, how you are, you are seeking. First, third, first thing God is not looking whether you will turn. The first thing he is looking is the attitude of your heart, your spirit. Humble yourself. Why is it so important is because the opposite of humility is pride. The opposite of humility is pride. Now we know very well, but those who are hearing, James chapter 4, 6 and after that, 1 Peter chapter 5, 5 and 6. James 4, 6. He gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. Therefore, oh, 5. Yeah. Likewise, you younger people, Submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you in the church, young and old. Be submissive to one another. Be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Read scripture very carefully. Twice it is repeated by both by Apostle James and Apostle Peter. What is that? That they don't say God ignores the proud. It would have been better. He doesn't say that. He says he never ignores the proud. He opposes the proud. Ignoring and opposing are two different things. Come Pastor Vijay here. Just walk towards me. Okay? This is ignoring. Okay? Now come again. This is opposing. God says, he doesn't say he will ignore us. The proud. He says, I will resist, I will oppose the proud. Okay. So one of the first things a child of God needs to have, if you are looking for any solution with God, is the right attitude of the spirit. Why is it so important? And so important for God. Why is this so important for God? Because you see, we, us, We have different kinds of sins. There are fleshly sins and there are some sins that are connected to the spirit. Okay? Some sins that are connected to the spirit. Now, a portion which we have looked a couple of days back. This is about Satan. Ezekiel 28, verses 14 to 17. We'll go verse by verse. You were the anointed cherub. So it's talking about Satan. Who covers? I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. And look at verse 15. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. What was found in you? 
iniquity was found in you. And if you remember sin, iniquity and transgression. Okay, sin is the outward. Iniquity is what empowers it. So it's not enough to deal with sin. You have to deal with iniquity. If you don't deal with iniquity, what will happen? You will forever cry and keep on repenting upon your sin. But you are caught in a circle, never able to come out because you did not deal with iniquity. Okay, iniquity. Lying is outside. Fear is the iniquity. Fear is the iniquity. Okay? Okay? You need to realize. Okay? It's fear that causes people to lie. And makes people to do a lot of things. So don't take fear lightly. That's why God says, I have not given you the spirit of fear. And in Revelation chapter 21, you don't have to go there. Or if you want to go there, chapter 21 and verse 8, right? In the list of people at the end, all those who are outside heaven, the first mentioned over the outside, first is who list? The cowardly. It's not even the unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually. We would put all these people first. Not even the sorcerers or the idolaters. The first that is put are the fearful. You know why? Because all these people actually became this because they did not have the guts to resist the devil. They didn't have. They were fearful. Unbelieving. Why are people unbelieving? Because they are so scared what people will say if I accept Christ. Though they know it is true. You know how many millions and millions are there in this world and in this nation who know Christ is true. But they will not because they are so afraid of their family, their khandan, their society, whatever they. He says, you know what? They cowardly. They cowardly. Fearful. How many millions are there in the Islamic community who really know Isa is the true one? You should ask, dear Muslim brother, how many times is Muhammad mentioned in your holy book? How many times is Isa mentioned in your holy book? You should ask him. You don't know? You read? Yeah, right. Muhammad is hardly there. Who is there? Isa. What does your book say about Muhammad's birth? Ordinary. What does your book say about Isa's birth? Born of a virgin. What does your book say about Isa's life? Sinless. What does your book talk about Muhammad's life? Normal. What does your book talk about Muhammad's death? Normal. What does your book talk about Isa's death? Supernatural. What is Isa called in your book? Ru Allah. You know the truth. But you are a coward because you are not ready to declare it. You know the truth. Hell will be full of cowards. That's why it's put in the first. Cowards. You know. These are the things which you need to understand. Need to understand. Okay? Because it's there in every book. (laughs) Any man such as he will know. There's only one God and he sent his son and his name was Jesus. Okay, it is there. It is there. But the problem is, you are fearful. So God puts fear over there. Okay, so understand these concepts very, 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 very clearly. Okay, so there are certain things which God ignores. Certain things are very, very, very important. Look at this. Okay, let's go back to Ezekiel 28 and verse 15. Until iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you 
became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, you cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God and destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. And then your heart was lifted up. So what was his iniquity? Pride. His heart was lifted up because of your beauty. Your heart was lifted up. Your heart was proud. Twice it is repeated. If you look at Ezekiel 28 and verse 2 also. When the address begins. Ezekiel 28 verse 2. Son of man say this with the prince of Tyre. Thus says the Lord God. Because your heart is lifted up. And you say I am a God. This is the problem. This is where sin originates. The first or what we say in, in, in theological mother of all sins is pride. And its manifestation comes out in different ways as anger and jealousy or or hatred, murder. It's all connected with pride. Why do you think Cain killed Abel? Because he was very proud of his work. He was a tiller of the land. He was very proud of his work and he brought his best and gave it to God. And Abel bun by faith and God accepted. His pride was hurt. He was very angry. And that's why the first question outside the garden, why are you angry? Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? Have you noticed? Proud people, to recognize them, all you have to do is compliment somebody else. Their face falls. When offertory is going on, and somebody is singing well, I don't look there, I look at faces of singers. How is your face? Are you happy that somebody is doing well or your face falling? Face falling. That's that's where it originated. He was proud. He was angry. He was jealous. Hatred. Murder. This is a cycle. And this is all connected with the devil. It originated in heaven. Okay? With the devil. So it is so pride originated with Lucifer or Satan. So Satan and demons are spirit beings. They have no flesh. So original sin, pride is spiritual. It's not fleshly, it's spiritual. That's why in the book of Corinthians, I forgot, talks about cleanses flesh and the filthiness of pride. Of, yeah, Second Corinthians 7, 1. Okay? Second Corinthians, therefore having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the Everybody understands. What? And? Or spiritiness of the spirit. What is that? Pride. 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 Okay? Kill, Kill it. Kill it. Okay? Why also is so important? Because God is the exact opposite of the devil. The devil is proud. God is humble. The real God. Not the other gods. None of the other gods are humble. That you will never see in any, let me use illustration that doesn't create controversy, Egyptian gods or Greek gods or Roman gods. You will see none of them are humble. They are never portrayed in any picture that shows anything. Anything. No? And not where the saints who worshipped them, they were also were not humble. 
They were not humble. None of them were. They don't have any character that causes them to be humble. Because these were gods shaped in the image of fallen man. Fallen man is proud, so he created proud gods. But Jesus is a different God altogether. He is humble. And God is humble. Very, very humble. The opposite of devil. And devil is not a God. Okay, by the way. He's just a created being of God. So if you look at Isaiah 57 verse 15 and then Isaiah 66 and verse 2, you will see about God. The incredible God. First it declares who he really is. See, God doesn't have to, when he talks about himself, he's not boasting. He's just speaking the truth. This is what he is. Okay. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. It's like me saying, if I say I've been living in the past five days in the church office, am I boasting? No, it's the truth. So when God says I inhabit in, uh, in uh, eternity, he's telling the truth. But if I say I'm inhabiting eternity, then that is, uh, it's boasting. Okay. Whose name is holy? Is he boasting? It's the truth. But then he says, I dwell in the high and holy place and also where? With him who has a contrite and a humble spirit. There are two places God dwells. In this holy habitation called eternity. And he also dwells in everyone who is really, truly humble. Why? Because God is humble. Okay, God is humble. If you look at Isaiah 66 and verse 2, and then again, for all those things my hand has made, and all those things exist, says the Lord, but on this one will I look, on whom who is poor and of a contrite spirit, a humble spirit. You know what God is talking about? Imagine, imagine, what are all the scientists sitting doing and we are in investing all our money in billions and billions and billions, all kind of telescopes, all galaxies, rover, Chandrayaan and what is the other one, what was it called? Mangalyan, all two Mars, everybody's eyes looking at Mars, Saturn, this thing. And God created all this and what we cannot see also, he sees. Stars and space and Milky Way, everything, the glory of his creation. But he says, all this are created, but my eyes are not on them. My eyes are not on them. Where are his eyes? For all these things my hand has made, and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one, in this one, what a God! He says, all these incredible things are there. My eye doesn't catch doesn't catch my attention. But if I see somebody who is poor and contrite in the spirit, somebody who is humble, get my attention immediately. Immediately. So simple this thing. Do you want God's attention? You want to catch God's eye? God's eye? It's not a question. Boasting thing or anything or anything. The truth. Like when you have a Sunday service and then my service is over and when I get down, a lot of people try to catch my attention. <laughs> Different reasons, okay? Because the pastor is finished and come down, okay? Okay, but then I, he will, you know, I go by this rule, first come, first served, okay? But God doesn't go by that, first come, first served. He doesn't go by that rule. He has only one rule. His eye is always looking for who is humble. And how do you know you are humble? Answer is there. That man trembles at his word. That's how he values God's word. He 
trembles at his word. Trembles. That's one of the reasons in our group I posted when the live streaming is going on. Please do not post anything or forward anything. It's irreverence. Not to me. To the word. To the word. Because you are, you are actually, it's a revelation of your own inner man that the word of God is going on in a situation like this. We have sacrificing for you, not for God. God is a pleasure. Okay? And we are preaching the word of God and you are sitting there and forwarding without even being bothered. So you are showing an irreverence. It's a judgment upon yourself. You can either choose to listen or not to listen, but not to interrupt. Not to interrupt. Okay? Not to interrupt. So that's what God is talking about. Because that's what God is. David knew this. In Psalm 51 and verse 17, this is what David says. The sacrifices of God. Ah. Did you see? This is a new covenant man caught in the old covenant. And we should be grateful. If this guy had been the new covenant, he would have put us all in shame. Would have all put our head down in shame before this man. Would have given us a run for our money. Without being born of the Spirit or being baptized in the Holy Spirit, this was what he was. And without having the new covenant. He had only the Old Testament and that too he did not have most of the Old Testament. He had only the five books of the law and Joshua probably and Judges, nothing else. The sacrifices of God. You want to bring a holy and acceptable sacrifice to God. What is the sacrifice of God? Are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. See, I, we have preached this earlier. God does not look at the words of a mouth. He looks at our inward parts first. That's what he looks. He doesn't look at the words first. He does not. First Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7. The Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his physical stature because I have refused him. For God does not see as a man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. See, God looks at the inner man. Outwardly, everybody will look, may look same. But inward, only God knows. And when God looked at the eight sons of Jesse, he looked at David. He knew that this guy was a humble boy in the house. Humble boy. He's a broken spirit. He's got a contrite and a broken spirit. He's a humble person. A humble person has a broken and a contrite spirit. So we know this simple truth which we have said. A lot of people in the Bible confronted in their situation said, I have sinned. Sarah said, I have sinned. He got destroyed. Balaam said, I have sinned. He got destroyed. King Saul said, I have sinned. He got destroyed. Judah said, I have sinned. He hung himself. But David said, I have sinned. And God said, immediately your sin is removed. Why did, what was the difference? Because God was not looking at his words. He was looking at his heart. The minute he heard the words, but not that, he looked at his heart. He says, you know what? This guy's heart is broken. Broken. Or what he has done. He's the only one with all of them outwardly similar confessions. That's what it says. God does not see as a man sees. Outwardly, everyone is saying the same words. I have sinned, 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 I have sinned. David also says, I have sinned. To David, God says, forgiven. 
The sin is removed. You know why? Because he saw the inward man. He was humble. He had a broken and a contrite spirit. So this is the unseen realm within us. God who is unseen, who is invisible, who lives in the third heaven, and also he looks for a place on earth to inhabit. And what does he look for according to his character? So Proverbs 16 and verse 18, this is what it says. Pride goes before destruction. And a haughty spirit before a fall. So you you don't have to look for holes, ditches ahead. All you have to look into your heart. Meaning if I am proud, then there is a ditch ahead of me. I never have to look for a ditch ahead. I have to look into my heart. Because it is written. Pride goes before. Okay, so God in his mercy to all his children, he says, I know you struggle with this. The old man is there, the new man is there. The old man is made and shaped in iniquity in the nature of your father, the devil. I didn't say, don't get mad with me. Jesus said there are only two fathers. One is God and the other is devil. Those who are of the devil has his own nature. Outwardly they look very good, nice and all, but they are proud, they are murdered. They are, when this real situation comes, it will show out. But those who are of God are also being transformed like him. They are humble, they are contrite, they are broken and they can walk with God. And they will take correction. They tremble at his word. You can correct them. They don't get offended. They don't get offended. Offense is a big thing in the Bible. God says, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Even John the Baptist got offended. Moses got offended. Old covenant people all got offended. Most of them. Offense. And these are all connected with the old man. So pride goes before a fall. Okay? And a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride goes before destruction. So watch out for this. So you cannot say, Lord, if we, because I'm getting tired by all these prayer requests from all these Christian chains, prayer chain and this chain, world council of churches, the Pope and all. And everybody will use this text. Let us pray. What are you praying for? What are you praying for? What are you praying for? Plague to go away? Do we even understand or searching what is your purpose behind this? Are the people including me, are we all who pray, have you trembled at his word? Before he will answer us, can God consider you and me humble? He didn't say pray. He says, first he says, humble yourself. Are we humble? You know, we don't look at what man is doing. We are looking at what God is actually talking to us. You know? Daniel chapter 5 and verse 20. We may not see it. We may not see it. But God sees. When his heart was lifted up, and his spirit was hardened in pride. He was deposed from his kingly throne. He's talking about Nebuchadnezzar. You see what happens is when our heart is lifted up, there's a hardening that takes place inside. And though you may be a believer, and you may call yourself a royal priesthood, called to have dominion, and serve God, you are taken off your throne. You are taken off your throne. It takes his authority and his power 
from you. And that is a trap into which many, many pastors got into. When they began, they were humble. And God gave them an incredible ministry. And when that ministry got into their spirit, pride came in. And the power was gone. So they need power to sustain what they have started. And they found there is another source for power. Another source for power. And that's how secretly I keep on telling you in TV, they are pastors by day and masters by night. Including this city. They go there in the night and they get their power. They split personalities. They split into two. Literally into two. Demonically into two. We all have split personalities, meaning Jesus was the only one who had one personality. He was always the same. Like, uh, we are not, like, God is trying to make us one. So, honestly, when we come to church, we put on a different front. When we go home, we become something else. We go to the office, we become something else. We are not talking about this. This is something that is demonic. demonic. Altars have been created. Personalities have been created. And that particular personality that is created went to Bible college. Went to Bible college. So they can preach fantastically. But the power source is somebody else. They, they serve somebody else. They don't serve God. And the Bible said that his servants also will come clothes as in what? Righteousness. And if you don't have the discernment to see it, spiritual discernment to see it, like crowds will follow them. I don't know who all. I'm not mentioning. But I'm saying you have to be very, very careful. Listen to what they teach. Are they taking you to a life closer and closer to God, into holiness and peace? Or are they taking you subtly into the world and world? And if you look at them, are they humble or are they superstars? Look at, look at signs. Look at signs. That's the difference between King Saul and King David. King Saul also was anointed and God gave him a different heart and he also started well. David was also anointed. But King Saul, after a point, scripture says he built a monument for himself. It was now about, blew the trumpet, hear O Israel, hear O Israel. Somebody else fought the battle and he took the credit and then the Philistines came and before you knew he ran. And his people also ran. After that, he is trying to get power. Power. Power is not coming. God refuses to speak to him. So you will see at his end, he ends up with a witch. Hoping for power. To defeat the enemy. So There are two sources of power. So people have to be very, very wise. Very, very careful. Who do you serve? Whom do you serve? How do you serve? Because look at spiritual things. What is the spiritual part? Is humility. And scripture says, when his heart was lifted up, his spirit was hardened. And if you come to 518, 518, yeah. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor. It was God who gave. It was God who gave this. But what happened, it got into his head. Who gave all this glory, honor, perfection, beauty, wisdom, everything to Lucifer? It was God. It's God, okay. But it's got into his head. And he decided to exalt his throne above God. Pride set him. The same thing is happening. Nebuchadnezzar was given. In the lowest level, all of us, whatever we have achieved, God has given it to us. 
God has given to. That is why in the book of Revelation, the 24 elders will take the crown and put it at his feet. You, this is not our crown. Our crown is not even fit for your head. It is only fit for your feet. It's not even fit for your head. I cannot even take my crown and put it on your head. I can only put it at your feet. Because you look back, everything is the work of God. Outside of God, there is nothing. Okay. So when he was given this honor, majesty, glory, and what happened? Kingdom. And what happened? His heart was lifted up. Spirit was hardened. This is where we have to be very, very, very careful about it. You always have to ask, what does power and authority do to do to you? What is? You become a manager in your company. You got five people under you. How do you deal with them? Or Apukti, he's sitting here. Poor thing, my thing, I have no. Supposing you have a full-time maid. How do you deal with her is what God is watching. Because you have somebody you have power over. Because she probably is working for a pittance. For you it may be a big amount, or for her it may be, but for you it doesn't matter. But she's struggling because she needs that money. And you look at her condition and you realize you have power, you have authority. And God is not dealing with how you deal with your husband, how you deal with your pastor, how you deal with your... But he's not looking at all. Because with all of them you'll be good. He's looking at somebody who is actually below you. That's who we are. Not how we deal with others above us. It's how we deal with below us. That's why Jesus' last ministry is wash the feet of his disciples. And that's what happened in the streets. What's happening in the streets? Yes, it's, 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 it's a calamity. Yes, the people need to be in their houses. Yes. But do you think you are constitutionally allowed to beat up people like this to get into their houses? What happened? What happened to the procedure of law? You don't have that authority. Who gave you? Is that what? Done? Okay, push them in. Beat their bikes. Break a few headlamps also. But you can't beat. At the end of the virus will be over. You will finally realize that 10 or 15 people died in Telangana. 5,000 were injured by the police. Come on. Come on. It's not nice. The pictures are not nice. It doesn't look good on us. Because the problem is when these things happen in India, it's going viral in the world. And our image always keeps going down that we are a nasty, brutal people. And they are not. Because one thing I appreciate about Hinduism, Hinduism is a very tolerant religion. Very tolerant. It was never a violent religion, unlike other religions. As a religion, it was never violent. It was very tolerant. But now you see only violence, even by the people who are supposed to be. No? And those things matter to me, not as a believer. I don't know. It doesn't bother me. As a citizen, it really matters to me. These things matter to me. As an Indian citizen, it matters to me. You can't do that. And when I see some of them are wearing three stars, four stars and this thing over there, I know the IPS officer. Man, you passed that exam and you were trained in the police academy. You were trained better. You were trained better than this. We expect much more from you. Okay? They're illiterate people. They don't have knowledge. The news and the thing has not permeated really, really well. Okay? So you have, this is what power does. 
powered us. Any level, what will power? Let us leave the world aside, okay? We see brutal sights. But I'm talking about what does power do to us as Christians? What does power do? I'm absolutely sure when Joseph was the head steward in Potiphar's house, no servants had any complaints. No complaints. I'm sure he was absolutely firm, led by example, the way he worked. Very firm, but very kind. Firm and kind. And then he goes to prison, and he's put in charge of all the prisoners. His breaking point, real breakthrough happens this. There are two people come in there. One is a butler and one is a baker. And they are, they have uh, dreams. Dreams. Now this is the only innocent guy actually there. Okay, he has never done any harm. And he's innocent over there. And scripture says, one morning after the morning, after these guys had dreams, he looked at their face. And he says, what troubles you? What troubles you? The sign of a real leader. What troubles you? What troubles you? People will say, how does it bother you? <laughs> me, my agony, my father forgot me, my brother sold me, my mistress accused me, my master didn't even try to clarify it through me. Nothing. <laughs> you got any problems that I can handle? <laughs> can I help you? That's the actual meaning of this. Can I help you? Are they above you? No, they are below you. Okay. So he was, a, because this is what made him a prince. This is what will make us princes in heaven. God is not looking at our talents, our gifts. He's looking at our character. Can we be confirmed to the image of Christ Jesus? So all these exigencies reveals who we are inside. Situations reveal who we are inside. When we are given a little power, it will show us like you get a promotion in your company. It will show your, or I say, Peter, take care of the worship team and tell the worship team, Listen to Peter. Then it's suddenly, it, it's on Peter. How will he handle this seven, eight, nine, ten people? How do you handle them? Because in this church, not other church, in this church everybody understands authority. They have been taught and drilled. And suddenly Peter has got authority. What will he do? Now anything that God gives power or authority, Jesus says, all power and authority is given to me. And he gives it to us. How do we exercise? It's a dangerous place to be. Because God hates pride. And he opposes the proud. It's a dangerous place. Because when our heart is lifted up, there is a hardening that takes place. And it doesn't matter what happens outside. No plague will change the heart of a proud man. No plague will change the heart of a proud man. So the plague is outside. But you don't realize the greater plague is inside. Look at Genesis chapter 7. Sorry, Exodus chapter 7. Exodus 7. And verse 22. Exodus 7, 22. Got it? Then the magicians of Egypt did so with the enchantments. And Pharaoh's heart grew hard. It grew hard. 8.15 When the Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart. He hardened his heart. This is my prayer. Lord, after some time, this will relieve. 
coronavirus will go, lives will come back to normal. Lord, when the respite comes, at least my people, Lord, those who are in my church, let their hearts not get hardened because of respite. Let they not forget the lessons, 25-day lessons you gave them. Let them not forget it. Let them come out more humble, more contrite, more broken. But God brought me through, my family through. When the respite came, what happened? Heart got hardened. 8.19. So this is the second time. 8.19. Got it? The magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But the Pharaoh's heart? So here we are preaching. This plague is from God. This is from God. With universal scale, this is God putting his finger on the button saying, wake up. And people's heart get hardened. One is respite. Respite, relief. Heart got hardened. Second, you know the source is God himself. It is judgment. Your heart gets It's like the criminal who comes after 20 years of prison, even more hardened. When he was supposed to have reflected and come and repented, come and says, okay, I'm going to the society, I will reform myself, I will be a useful person in this. No, he comes even more hardened. So next time he's caught and the judge throws a book at him and says, you sit there for life. Comes even more hardened. This is the finger all his sorcerers are telling. All these magicians are telling, those who are connected to the realm 2 are saying, sorry sir, we cannot handle it, your majesty, this is realm 3. You know how many people's hearts are hardened? Because their sorcerers and astrologers and magicians know it is our God who is God. They have heard, but their hearts are hardened. They know who is God. They know. It is Jesus. Heart is hardened. That Baphomet wraps his tail between his legs and goes into the abyss of the name of Jesus Christ. They all know they have experienced it, but still they go back because their heart is hardened. And they don't even see because God. And then hate 32. Pharaoh hardened his heart. This time, also. Neither would he let the people go. 9-7 Pharaoh said, and indeed not even one of the livestock of the Israelites were dead, but the heart of Pharaoh became hard. He saw God had made a distinction between his people and Pharaoh's people. Not a single thing belonging to God's people was touched. He realized but his heart was still hard. Sign after sign after sign after sign before the Pharaoh. Once your heart is lifted up, it is hard. 9-12 But the Lord, first time, Pharaoh hardened. Second time, Pharaoh hardened. Third time, fourth time, five time, Pharaoh hardened. Time of grace is over. You have exhausted your grace. It's over. Now God hardened his heart. I withdraw my spirit. A hardened heart is a sign of pride. 
God hates pride. Now, brethren who are sitting here and who are listening online, all my dear children in Christ, in God's children, we may not have a hardened heart. We may have portions in our heart which is hardened. You may be hard to your wife. May be gentle to others. You may be gentle to everyone, but be hard with a colleague. The whole heart is not hard. But certain areas are very, very hard. Become hard. Be careful. Ask God to show you. Get off it. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Daniel chapter 4, 16, the warnings are there. So you need to realize when God says, if my people who are called by name humble myself, oh, it's not so easy when you have a calamity like this to pray. Let his heart be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the heart of a beast. When pride comes in, when hardness comes in, God gives you the heart of an animal. You actually act like an animal. Animals have no self-control. You know that? No self-control. And that's how some men are. They're brutal beasts in their homes and in their offices. That's what we saw on the streets. Like animals. Animals. It upset me very much. It really upset me. It upset me as an Indian citizen. It doesn't upset me as a believer because worse things have happened. But it really upsets you. Because that's the way I was brought up by my, by my father. Respect authority, honor uniform. That's why I have no criminal record in my life. Not even a chalan. Never entered into a police station. Always taught to respect. Because my dad was a principal and I was a student in his class. So always time and honor. Honor people in authority. Honor, 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 honor. Always. So the thing is that an ordinary man on the street and a man in uniform, I always look at that uniform with respect because the uniform represents power, authority of the state, of the government, and above that of my God. So when I see that going heaven, it upsets me. It upsets me. If two people are fighting on the road, it doesn't upset me. It's not upset. And God says, that's what's happening. But at a very personal level, men become brutes. Women become brutes. They don't physically hit, but when they open their mouth, they're like brutal animals. The kind of stuff they say. And that's what God is saying. If you look at all of them, it's pride. It's pride. Pride lift you up, heart gets hardened, and God says, you know what, you'll have, you'll have that part of an animal. You'll act like an animal. Behave like an animal. Animals inside. If they, when they have the power, they will tear you apart. With words at least. So pride and power is a very dangerous combination. Dangerous combination. Well, humility and power is God's combination. So everything that God is trying to do is that an, a, 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 a time is coming. 
called eternity, where his glorious ones, he who overcomes, shall inherit all and reign with him forever and ever. Power and authority like we have never ever imagined is being going to be given, but only to the one who has been confirmed in the image of his son. That first thing is humility. Only those who have actually become humble will get power and authority in heaven. Because you cannot be given power and authority by God otherwise in eternity. It's impossible because we'll abuse it. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 9. God as man. Let this be mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. This mind, another version will say attitude. Mind has a posture also. The posture of your mind. Okay? That's not the thinking. God looks at first the posture. How it is it coming? Are these words coming from a humble heart? Are these words coming from a lifted up? Exalted heart. Okay? Who being in the form of God. It's actually God. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And all things were created by him, for him, through him. This is him. Did not consider robbery to be equal with God. Like if he said I'm equal to God, it was he was not lying or cheating. It is true. And then, but made himself of no reputation. Okay. That should be our whole thing. Whole thing, make ourselves. I honestly, I dislike this husband. What I've been trying to run away for 12 years finally caught me. I never like this. I don't want to because it does things to you. Does things to you. It's simple to be a voice. Nobody recognizes you. It is fine. No, this is guarding your heart in this life. You don't want to be seen. You don't want to be seen. Okay, you don't want to be seen. But now exigency has come. Now we are out in the public. He made himself of no reputation. You know, for 30 years, when God became man, you never knew where he was. He never came out. You never knew who he was. He just lived like an ordinary carpenter in Nazareth. And that's when Nathaniel says, can anything good come from Nazareth? Nazareth had no reputation. It was never mentioned in the Bible at all. And that's the place he chose to stay and live and work. Taking the form of a bondsman, bond servant, coming in the likeness of men, and then verse it, and being found in the appearance as a man, what did he do? He humbled himself. He, not only that, his humility is going further and further and further and further and further and further, became obedient to the point of death. How much will you humble? To death. And what kind of death? The death on the cross, the most shameful, humiliating, painful death he chose. Because father said that's your death. And it's humiliating because it's not like we see in the pictures. He was stripped naked. He was not hanging there like we see nicely covered. No, this is the son of man stripped naked. It's the most painful death of those days because your feet is crucified and your hands are crucified. So every breath is painful because you have to lift and every, the most shameful, most painful, everything is okay, right? It's going on, eh? Death he chose. That is the way he was humble. Meaning, his father said, son, get some money. Father, please, Lord, take this cup away from me. But thy will and not my will, three times. And the father said, no. And what does it mean if scripture is true for him? He trembled at his word. Trembled at his word. Yes, dad. Father, it's well with my soul. 
dwell with my soul. And therefore, he humbled, 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 humbled. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every other name. Now, if he was given the name above every other name because he humbled himself to that point, and when we are baptized in that name, what should we be? You see, we got that name without anything. He had to go through this process to get that name and we just got that name. Now he says, you got that name, grow in humility to that name. You fit that name. Fit that name. Get and be that name. In the book of Revelation, there's an incredible, this is the doctrine about who Jesus is. And there is a word picture in Revelation chapter 5. Uh, yeah, Revelation chapter 5, verse 1 to 6. <clears throat> okay, this is John in his spirit in heaven. And he's seeing, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll written inside on the back, sealed with seven seals. This is all about eternity, future. I see a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? No one in heaven nor on the earth or under earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. Meaning what? This will tell you about what is going to happen. And there is a scroll, it is sealed. And there is nobody in heaven fit to open this. Because to open this, you need to have a particular quality. Otherwise, you cannot open it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll to lose its seventh seal. He says, the lion has come. He will open it. And I looked, behold, in the midst of the throne of the four living creatures and the midst of the elders today, lamb, power and humility come together. The lion and the lamb. He's the only one worthy to open the scroll. The lion and the lamb. These are symbols given to us. We associate lion with power and with authority. Share it. And the lamb the lamb with meekness. Parameshwar ki memna. Right? You say memna, right? Yeah. Lamb. In Nepali you say dhuma. Dhuma ko rakat. The blood of the lamb. You see, when we were saved from eternal death, it was not the mighty lion who saved us. It is the blood of the Passover lamb. It was not the lion, because in every other this thing you will see to save, it is the lion who comes with power and might to kill the wicked and save the righteous. That's how every religion ends. Kill the wicked, save the righteous. Here is the other way. The lamb comes to save the sinners. Save the sin. That's why the Christianity, genuine Christian, fundamentally different from every other religion. Because in every other religion, the God comes to destroy the sinners and save the righteous. Sanity, no. The Lamb comes to save the sinners and leaves the righteous alone. And say that for you, another day will come as a lion. First, let me do the work of the Lamb, save you. Later, I will come as a lion. But I will give you so much time. So Romans 8.28 is very, very, very clear. God is conforming us to the image of His Son. Got it? 
still revelation. For whom God chose, he, oh, 29 then, no? No, 28, 29, yeah. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined what? All of us has been predestined for that, to conform to the image of, of his son. What is the first image? Have this mind or attitude of Jesus Christ. What is that? Humility. Humble. Because Christ is humble. God is humble. Because pride hardens. Humility softens. How do you know? Humble people are very easy to teach. Very easy to teach. Proud people is very difficult to teach. Oh, correct. Humble people, very easy. And God is conforming us to the image of His Son. How does He do it? Through all the situations and the trials and the testings we go through, He is trying to mold us in the image of His Son. So nothing is wasted. Not even this pandemic is wasted on us. God wastes nothing. So Pastor Vijay was talking yesterday, I think. Second Samuel chapter 24-1 and First Chronicles 21-1. Second Samuel 24, 1. Again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Okay? So he's angry with whom? Israel. So what did he do? He moved David. Against them. Against whom? Be very careful about our God. You never know. He used, God moved the king against his own people. You, you'll never understand our God. He can use Prime Minister Modi to move against his own people, to humble his people. His own people mean the church. If the church gets too proud. He can use Chinese President Xi to go against the church, to humble the church if they're getting too smart. And he used David to go against Israel. And he said, number Israel and Judah. Now we go back to Chronicles. First Chronicle 21.1 And Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. So, see, Satan can't do anything unless God takes his hand off. So, if Job has to be tested, God has to allow. So, God sees it and he allows Satan to work. And how does Satan work? Satan doesn't work through humble people. He cannot. He works only through pride. So, he caused pride to come into David and said, number your people. But numbering is always about pride. No, you know how big my congregation is? You know how much my flocks are? Do you know how much our company earns? All numbers. No? Smart, handsome boy with five-figure salary. Alliance interested. It's all numbers. And if the salary is a little less, six feet, three inches. So increase it this side numbers. It's all numbers. Numbers is always a sign of pride. Numbers. Okay. Number. You see, God was angry with Israel because now they are thinking, you know, you see, they are prospering under David. But they are prospering under David because David is a humble man and God is blessing them. But they became proud. They became proud. You see, you could be under a humble king and become proud. Be very careful. 
The man is very humble and God is prospering his work. And the people got very proud. They thought, you know what, we are cat's whiskers. That's why we are winning every battle. We have never lost a battle. Every battle we win, Philistines are living in fear. All these guys are feeling, you know what, we are really good. We are really smart. Without realizing all the victories is because the king is humble and God is giving him victory. People became proud. Pride had set in as a nation. Pride sets in as a nation. China's target. We will become the number one economy and the greatest superpower in the world within these years. So we are going into the ocean. We are going to make man-made islands and we will have all these bases all over. They were going ga, 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 ga about their number. Economy, people, only China can do this. And then the virus hit them. America was saying that we are the world's most powerful army. Nobody can beat us. Then the virus hit them. Italy was thought they were the world's religious head. And I'm going to bring the unity of all the religions together and we'll have a one world. And so Italy was hit. Economic, military and religious pride was hit. Three nations are hit worst. God says, you know what? I will use a little virus to humble you if you learn the lesson. Because there was a proud prophet sitting over there and there was this shade over there. God used a worm to teach him that you are an angry, proud man. You know, Jonah? One little worm to teach a prophet a lesson. I'm using you despite you. In spite of your rotten attitude, I'm still using you. Be merciful. Be merciful. None of us take any pride in the results of our work because God is using all of us despite us. You you think God needs all these workers to preach the one angel? Woo! Everything will get evangelized. That's all he needs. When you read the book of Revelation, the final evangelism is given to an angel. Right? Same. One angel. God says, I'm using you. In spite of you, hoping that through it all, you will become like my son. Humble. You know, the most difficult work that God does it with man is not saving man. It's humbling him. Because only the humble can be saved. Because the first step of salvation is humble, I believe. And he won't bend his knee. He won't bend his knee. The first step of salvation is, I believe. I am a sinner. There is no other way. My religion means nothing. My works means nothing. My good works means nothing. All this is like filthy rags before you, Lord, have mercy on me. You are saved. But you need to humble first before you can get saved. One step. And that is what God has been trying for the past 6,000 years to get man to humble himself so that he can be saved. 4,000 years didn't work. So he said, you know what? Let me give them a real picture. I'll send my son and he will come and become the most humble. Looking at that, we'll say, okay, God is humble. I can be humble. Still, they will not be humble. See, if I am humble, then it's easy for you to be humble, right? Okay, pastor is humble, so I will be also humble. It's okay. I don't have to feel bad. Pastor is humble, so I am in. So everybody in the church can be humble with each other because pastor is humble. The head is humble. So Christ came and said, look, God is humble. So people are saying, if God is humble, so what? I am not going to be humble. 
We don't want the kind of a God. Release Barabbas. Release Barabbas. We don't want humble kings. Release Barabbas. And we struggle with this every day. It's our basic fundamental struggle. We want the plague to go. God says, I looked for one man who will stand in the gap. You meaning there have been people praying? He says, there was not a single humble man who could stand in the gap and pray so that I could hear his prayer and take it away. There was not one person. I didn't find one in the book of Ezekiel. Not one, he said, I found whose prayer I could answer. Whose heart met my standard. One man I couldn't find. So my own right hand worked the salvation. He said, let my son go. There's <laughs> nobody here. My son go. So God looked at Israel and said, hey, 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 wait, 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 wait a nation. You are my nation, right? You got my name, right? You are my people, right? And you are proud. I need to humble you because you have very, te- very bad testimony. So that's why people ask, why does terrible things happen only to Christians? Because you need to have a testimony that you are humble. Your testimony is not your prosperity. Your testimony is your humility. You cannot have the testimony of Lucifer. You have to have the testimony of Christ. So God is working everything in our lives to make us humble. So he dealt with Israel. There's no record of God dealing with China, India, Ethiopia, nothing in the Bible. Only with Israel. Because Israel is my son. So I need to spank the daylights out of him. Until he looks like me. So what happens? Samuel 24 and verse 10. Once he's counted, God takes the influence of Satan away from David. He moves Satan out. Okay, you did my work, now step out. Don't touch my son. Scripture says, And David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. And David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. Now I pray, O Lord, take off the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. God does these things. You know, on the road to Emmaus, he blinded their eyes so they couldn't recognize him. He walked with them, talked with them, ate with them. They couldn't recognize him. He can do all these things. Why? Because he's got some other agenda. And when he broke the bed, their eyes were open and he disappeared. And they ran back to Jerusalem saying, we met the Lord. How did you know? When he broke the bread, our eyes were open. That's a different message. So as soon as the numbering is over, God removed his, moved Satan out of the way. And he came back out and said, oh my gosh, what did I do? What did I do? What did I do? Condemned. Don't you feel like that? I feel. Sometimes when I have said something from here and I know that when I go back, I feel like going and listening the next day. You don't have to listen the next day. When I reach over there, I know that was flesh. I shouldn't have said that. In that message, that one line, like people will be saying, Pastor, what a message, what a message, what a message, message. But I am not bothered about that message at all. I know that in that message, there was one line I should not have said. Should not have said. That was not of God. That was not of God. And that messes up my day. Everything of that day's ministry, everything is forgotten, is all gone, the joy is gone, everything was one thing has upset you. One line in that has upset you. But, because you are not serving God. Man, you are serving God first. Man is happy, is okay. God is not happy, then what is the point of your ministry? Right? He said, please, 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 I have done terribly, I have done terribly. Oh Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Now it was David's sin, 
God could have taken it. He said, I have taken it. He did not. When he sinned, he said, I have taken it. But this has got nothing to do with David. It's got to do with the people. It's got to do with Israel. So he says, okay, fine. But I'm not going to take my hand off so lightly. So I'll give you choices. Verse 11 to 16. When David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet God, David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Multiple choice question. A, B, C. Okay. I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself that I may do it to you. Now why would God say you do it to you? Because he knew this man's heart is connected with the people. He loves the people. If it was Ahab, he he would not be least bothered. How many do you want to kill Lord? 70,000 only kill 100,000. I am not bothered. (laughs) Kill them. That's what I said that I was not being negative and all, no, but I'm saying, are there really leaders in this world who really, I saw the Italian Prime Minister crying publicly. I made a goof off. I made a mistake. My people are dying. Okay. Are there real leaders who go into the closet and cry before the Lord saying, Lord, my people are dying. Have mercy. Have mercy. One thing I liked about, uh, I mean, uh, Prime Minister Modi's speech was that he, Appealed so many times to people. So many times to people. Please, please stay inside. Please stay inside. No, those signs are nice. In any man. You have to look at those signs and say this. Okay, at least something good is showing. Good is showing. Because you always have to appreciate humility. Whether it's real or not. Humility has to be appreciated. Because it's something connected with God and not the devil. Okay. You can have three choices. Multiple choice. One. Seven years of famine come to you in your land. Two, you shall flee three months before your enemy. Three, you can have three days of plague in your land. Now consider and see what answer I should take back to him who sent me. What a choice. What a question. A, B, C. Seven years of famine, David calculated. That's too bad. No, the death. And seven years, and then after that, will be their millions will die, suffer. It's a long-standing suffering. Three months before the enemy, it's death, humiliation, destruction. The name of God, God's people, and army was defeated. He had begun his career talking as, "I come against you in the name of Jehovah Shabbat," and then to run before his enemies three months is shame to his God. He's very zealous about his God's name. And that's why God was upset about with him in Bethsaida and says, why did you do this to me? I'm upset with you because I would have given you all your other king's concubines. If it was sex you wanted, I would have given you as many women. You messed up my name because my name and your name are connected because I know you love me and you know I love you. So for God, it was not a simple case of adultery. It was more than that. <laughs> David said to God, I'm in great distress. <laughs> what a choice, multiple choice question is this? Please let us fall in the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great. But do not let me fall in the hand of man. So the Lord sent a plague from Israel. From morning till the appointed time. So why did I bring this? Because there is a plague in the land. It's a plague in the land. Up until the appointed time. From Dan to Beersheba. God has set an appointed time. If this is from God, God has an appointed time. Who can stop it? A young man whom we don't even know somewhere in some closet who is absolutely connected with God and he says, Lord, let it fall on me. 
That's what he says, Lord, why, Lord, these people have been sinned. He will, you'll see later. I'm not reading that. He said, why, Lord, let it fall on me and my family. What have these innocent people done? I am the one who counted. They were just following orders. Can you find a president or a prime minister or a king or a queen in this world who will stand up like that man before God and say, Lord, I, I goofed up. I did not shut the borders. I did not invest in medical infrastructure, in education. If I had invested during those time I had in education, medical infrastructure and all that, when this came, my people would have been prepared. I didn't do that. It's my fault. I took the decisions. 70,000 died. Verse 16. When the angel stretched out his hand over Jerusalem to destroy the Lord relented. Death is going tap, 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 tap. You have to look at 70,000 in terms of that time's population. It's huge number. China is not telling us any numbers. How many people died is all. But suddenly they are asking, what happened between December to February? The latest news is 22 million subscribers have gone from um, China Telecom. What happened to all the subscribers? Because it was only going up till December. And now January, February number, 23 million cell phone subscribers are missing. So is that the actual number who died? Because it, it, they don't go off also. Why? Because the government tracks you through your cell phone. It's not like India. They track you through your cell phone. That's how you are connected to this grid, the system. You even get your points based on everything. Whether you can buy this or you are denied from buying, everything is through you. So, the latest news says around 23 million subscribers are missing. How many died? People were dying, 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 but God relented his hand. When did, it doesn't begin with man, it begins with God. Scripture says, when the angel stretched out his hand, over? Oh, you have come to Zion, the church of the firstborn, the heavenly Jerusalem. When the angel starts touching God's own chosen people, that's maybe when he will relent his hand. He alone knows who his people are. That's maybe when this plague will stop. He will say, stop it. Don't kill my people. I'm not talking about those who go with the Christian name. I'm talking about his church, the bride that is prepared. When it's about to touch them, God will say, stop. Stop. That's my girl. That's my girl. Don't touch her. That's the apple of my eye. Scripture says, God relented from the destruction and said to the angel who was destroying the people, it is enough. Restrain your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. That's where it stopped. Some, right? Oh, boy. What a God. What a God. What a God. What a God. Verse 18. God the prophet ran to David. God came that day to David and said, Sir, your majesty, go up, erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. Judgment has stopped. The prophet knows. Judgment has stopped. And where has it stopped? It has stopped at the Threshing floor of Arunada Jebusite. It has stopped there. So run and build an altar where judgment has stopped. Go to Luke chapter 3. 
and verse 16 and 17. John answered this, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but the one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to lose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Who is coming? Jesus is coming. I am not even worthy to untie the straps of his sandals. He shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. But where does he wait? In the spiritual realm. His winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor. And gather the wheat into his barn and his the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. What is the threshing floor? The threshing floor is where okay, the oxen will go. The harvest is brought in. Pounds of the stone goes round and 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 round. The labor of the oxen is terrible. Going round and round and round and round. That's why the Bible will say, do not muzzle the mouth of that oxen. Let him also eat a little of that produce. Don't muzzle it. And Paul will come and say, hey, I'm not talking about oxen. I'm talking about people in the ministry. Because the ministry is like going around in circles. Cleanse these people, cleanse these people, cleanse these people. Get these people ready for the harvest. Get these people, get these people, get these people. Get the shaft out. It's a circular journey. All your life. God says, let them have some of the produce. Don't muzzle their mouth. Then when it is over, he will separate. There's a wind Threshing floor, winnowing, fan. Okay? It's a high place. And there the wind will come. You know, in old days and the years, so they will take it and throw it like this and the wind takes it off. And the wheat falls down. So what is the threshing floor? The threshing floor is a place of judgment. Where the shaft in me, the useless part of me, is separated and the wheat and the shaft are separated. He takes the wheat and puts in the barn and throws the shaft into the fire. You getting the picture? Where does judgment stop? At the threshing floor. That's where the judgment stops. Where does judgment stop? Threshing floor. Where is Solomon's temple built? At the Aruna's threshing floor. Where was Isaac offered? Same floor. Where was Jesus crucified? Same place. So where did judgment stop? On Christ. On Christ. Stopped. He took the judgment upon himself. Now what is God is doing? He's doing the work of the Holy Spirit to cleanse us, remove the wheat and the chaff. Unless we see all these things, we will just brew all these chain prayers and all these prayers without even understanding what God is doing. The purpose of the plague has got nothing to do with the world. It's got to do with the church. It's got to do with the church. Because only the church can read the plague. And get rid of the plague. Read and get rid of the plague. Even if somebody finds a breakthrough, it will be because somebody who nobody knew prayed and he got the breakthrough. There's something that is happening on the other realm. Are we being separated? Are we being separated? Being separated? He said, narrow is that way. Are we moving out of the broad way into the narrow way? 
are our ways changing constantly into the ways of God? Inside, constantly aligning him like you can't two walk together unless they have agreed. We heard it so many times. Pastor Vijay spoke again this morning. God doesn't have to agree with me. I have to agree with him on everything. Not what I like. What I dislike also. If I have to walk with him. If I walk with him. Remember first Samuel, second Samuel chapter 6, verse 1 onwards. And David gathered all the choice men of Israel. 30,000. Onwards, yeah. Go further down. Yeah. David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Bale Judah. Bale Bale. To bring up from there the ark of God. That's how actually they went. Whose name is called by the name, the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubim. And they set up the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the Israel music before the Lord with all kinds of instruments on furrowed, on harp, stringed instruments, tambourines, systems and cymbals. And when they came to Nakan's threshing floor, they came to the threshing floor. Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God, took hold of it for the oxen. All the way they're coming, band, band, baja, everything, everybody's dancing, balle, balle, juda, balle, juda. That was the first balle, balle. <laughs> Happy, merry making, excited, simple people, all excited. Their excitement or the innocence of David did not matter to God. Ignorance in the things of God will cost you. Because you are dealing with a holy and a righteous God. My ignorance of the holiness of God is no excuse. And verse 7. Anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah and Lord struck him dead for the error and he died there by the ark of God. All celebration ended. Everything stopped. On the threshing floor. What was supposed to be the greatest day in David's life became a tragedy. Total tragedy. All online brethren, I am not going to stop here. Why did Uzzah die? And why do we die? Uzzah died because he became very familiar with holy things. We'll say, Pastor, this is an Old Testament thing about, but wasn't Ark the virtual representation of the presence of God in their midst and connected with our own situation having been hearing from Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 26 onwards. Hebrews 12, 26. Whose voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heavens. Now yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, things which cannot be shaken may remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably. How? You know what has gone in the church and our lives? Reverence and godly fear. We have celebration. 
We have excitement. We have music. We have song. We have it all. But we are missing two things. What is that? Reverence and? And what is the warning at the end? Because? So God hasn't changed. The God who destroyed Uzzah, the same God who destroys people in the sanctuary. He hasn't changed. God is a consuming fire. This is new covenant. So God of the old covenant is the God of the new covenant. For God is the consuming fire. Where has reverence gone? Where has godly fear gone? You know the history. We all know the history. There's a terrible priesthood many, many years earlier in Israel called Eli with very ungodly two sons called Phineas and Hopni. Sons of Belial, God called him. Two sons of the devil are in charge of the ministry in the in the temple. Think, this is God's sight. God's evaluation. Two devils are in charge of ministry. Today's modern translation, Baphomet servants are running the church now. Not Christ servants. Masters pretending as pastors. I have no issue with masters outside. I have issues when they get into the church. Then I have issues. You be whatever. Astrologers, soothsayers, witchcraft, all these people have been there from the beginning. You go there. But when you get into the church and pretend to be a pastor, I have issues. I have issues. With you, I have an issue. You are like Phineas and Hophni. Sons of Belial. Ministering in the name of Yahweh. Philistines, battle, first battle lost. They took the ark of the Lord, let's and Hophni and Phineas also went. They made such a sound, you know, they made such a sound because ark has come. Lot of people make such a sound in the house of God because they think the presence of God is there. There is no presence of God. It's only sound. Like Shakespeare said, sound and fury signifying nothing. All the jumping and dancing and all the hangama they're making of the question is, is the ark, the holiness connected with God in the sanctuary? The Philistines got scared. They said, the ark has come. And they know the history of the ark. Oh, this is the God. Because all people respect each other's gods. And they really respect Israel's God. But do you know what they did to Israel? What did they do to Sishon? What did they do to Egypt? They all know the history. They said, you apart tomorrow. We have to fight really because the ark has come into the midst. Next day, they fought like crazy. And they killed how many Israelite soldiers? 30,000 died. And they took the ark also. Ark, we would argue like Opni and Phineas were also killed. Eli heard and he fell backwards, not forward, backwards. And he broke his neck with the donkey's neck. Break it. Okay, we heard in the mouth. Stubborn as the donkey. Broke his neck and he also died. Now the ark the Philistines took. They are like that. Anything they, they like Babylonian kings and all, they take the ark also and put it in their temple. They always give it a place of honor. And all our dear Hindus in India do that. They will take Jesus' picture also and put it among many gods. They are like that. But you can't blame them. They respect. Respect. They respect. All gods they respect. So they also. The problem is next day when they came, they found all their idols had fallen down. Dagon had fallen down. Next day came, Dagon had fallen, his head and legs all were broken. And the people were all having tumors. Actually, they say it was piles. Okay, actually, that's the word. Modern translation is piles. Okay. It was the worst decision to have all the Philistines that are suffering from piles because Israelite God is between among them. So I said, we need to get rid of this God. 
we need to get rid of this god from our midst because he brought him put in the temple now we are all under judgment let him go but no they are very nice people like our indians very nice honestly nice in this thing you know, we can't do that we need to send him with some gifts okay so they made gold tumors that's <laughs> all that they made okay i don't know what the shape of those tumors were <laughs> very funny but they made all these gold tumors and everything and then they did did something they put it's all there in first samuel okay they put this ark in a new cart got two milk cows they put it with all the offerings and they said if this milk cows the the children are no if they leave because no mother will leave that babe calf go straight with the ark to the israelite territory then you know we are right god is their god is accepted our offering Okay, and I have preached many, many years ago that the cows had more sense than the Israelites. Okay, how God can speak through you. Uh, how the cows showed the way. Okay, these cows took off like two rockets straight to the Israelite territory. Straight away went and stopped at the border. They reached that place called, I forgot the name of the place. They reached. The people all came there in the very way, all very excited, very, very excited. Oh, it has come, it has come, it has come, it has come, it has come. Okay, and they looked into the ark. Fifth, 50,000 if I am right. No, 50. <coughs> Let's go there. Chapter 6, verse 19 onwards. First Samuel chapter 6, verse 19. Okay. He struck the men of Bethshemesh because they had looked into the ark. He struck 50,070 men of the people. He says, this God doesn't fool around. I love people to fool around with his holiness. Ark came in. Everybody looked into the ark and they all died. All you see is the ark sitting on a stone and all dead people around. Why? Because they looked into the holiness and God had told Moses, these people should know. He said, you cannot see me and live. They all died. So nobody lived to give a testimony what the inside of the ark looked like. <laughs> no, otherwise they would have come and given a testimony. Pastor, can I have five minutes testimony? Why? I want to tell what the inside of the ark looks like. Nobody. Everybody died. People lamented because the Lord had struck the people with the great slaughter. And then, come further down, Sammy. Men of Bethsemane said, who is able to stand before this holy God and whom shall it go up from us? Exactly, that's the question. God is also like, who will stand before me? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who can? Okay, we are busy washing our hands, right? We learn many, many ways. I have never washed my hands. Now, now, we learn a new this thing. Now, I am also washing my hands. I don't go anywhere outside. I'm here, quarantined, but I'm still washing my hands like this. Like this, like this, and like this. No, all new ways we have learned. Question is, what about our spiritual hands? Our testing our works? The attitude when we are doing that work? Am I sloppy? Am I serious? Am I humble? Or am I proud? Am I angry? Or am I irritated? The attitude, the intentions, why am I doing it? Am I testing the work of my hands? That's a question. Put a muzzle over my mouth. Lord, I don't want to say anything. If I say, let it be edifying. But if it's a rebuke, let it be from you. I'm, my lips are just instruments. Covering our face, mask nicely. God said, what about the virus inside? The coronavirus outside is not the problem. The problem is the virus inside you. Then it comes out. The Philistines have brought the ark. Come down and take it up with you. Yeah, go further down. Keep going down. Okay. 
The men of Kirjatjarim came, took the ark of the Lord, brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill and consecrated Eliezer his son to keep the ark of the Lord. Have you got it? That is where this ark was consecrated and kept. And who was consecrated as the priest? Eliezer. Now you go back to 6.1. Now the ark of the Lord was in the country. No, second, second Samuel. Second Samuel. David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. Come further down. Come quickly go down. Okay. David arose. Okay. Go down. And they set the ark of God on a new cart. Oh, wait a minute, David. Where did you get this idea about a cart? Where did you get this idea about putting ark on a cart? From the Philistines. Where do you get your new forms of worship from the world? So you are having Philistine worship in the holy house of God. Go to verse 2. Go up. Yeah, went with all the people. Yeah, then come further down. 3, 4. We read 3. Now 4. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God. And who was there? Ahio and? Before the ark. And verse 5. And? Uzzah. You know, Elias is missing. The fellow who was consecrated for this work is missing. Two other fellows are sitting there. Where is the fellow who was consecrated? Eliezer. He's not there. He's missing. And two other guys are there. Now go to verse 1. And gathered all the choice men of Israel. How many? How many thousand died that day when the ark was lost? 30,000. 30, 30. How many died? So how many will bring it back? See, he got it all from those Philistine ideas. Philistines killed 30. We will bring, go with 30,000 people. We'll get a new cart, put the ark over there, and we'll take God says, I am not interested with your ideas. You go back, check my book. I told you how my ark should go. I don't want your ideas. We, God doesn't want our ideas of how we should worship him. God has already told us, you worship me with reverence and with fear, because I'm a consuming fire. I'm holy. God is not excited by our new forms of worship and light and smoke and big screens. God is not interested in any of those things or the, or the traditional form. He is not. He is looking into the spirit to see who is in the spirit, who is walking in truth. That's all he looks for. And then I have told you how you need because those people can be taught how you can worship me. Now you go further. The first Chronicles chapter 15, after three months. Three months. First Chronicles 15, verses 11 to 15. 11. And David called for Zadok and Abiyah the priests, and for the Levites, and the names are there. Yeah, further down. He said to them, you are the heads of the fathers' houses of Levites. Sanctify yourself, you and your brethren, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord of Israel to the place I have prepared for it. Because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult him about the proper order. Order. You did not consult with him the proper order. And verse 15. So the priests and the Levites, yeah, you jumped. Sanctified themselves. First they sanctified to bring up the ark of the Lord. And verse 15. And the Levites bore the ark of God on the shoulders by his poles as Moses had commanded according to the word of the... So this was told 400, 500 years earlier. But God hasn't changed. 
Entering period, all these things have happened. Judges have come and gone. Joshua is dead and gone. Judges period is over. Samuel is dead. Saul is dead. God's word never changes. His ways never change. He says, you Levites, it was your duty to know from the book how his presence should be taken from one place to another. We should have carried. It's been very clearly. Don't even touch it. There are hooks over there. Put it over there. It should be carried on the shoulders of his people, of his consecrated Levites. And we didn't do it. And that's why we did it the Philistine way. Now the question to God is saying, are God's servants sanctified, set apart, and they're carrying the burden of God's glory upon their shoulders and trying to bring it into the house of God? Is the question God is asking. Well, are you trying to imitate the ways of the Philistines? And are you upset that the plague has broken and people are dying? So the question is to us, how do you, how do you bring the presence of God? Are you trying all these regards? Or are there appointed ways of God? The God of Israel has not changed. God of Israel has not changed. God's ark was always kept in the most holy place. Eleven tribes, because of a judgment in the first time when Moses came down, were not allowed to enter from that. They were in the outer. So only one tribe was allowed into the holy place. The Levites. And there you have a holy place. There is a change of garments. You enter over there and you all know what is there. Table of shoebread. The, the, the seven branched light and the incense. Incense one is almost there at the border between the most holy and holy place. This is over there. But that's, that's where the priests were there. But when you went in over there in the most holy place, God had told Moses, from there I will speak. He did not speak in the holy place. He did not speak in the outer courts. He said, I'll speak there. I'll speak there. And in the new covenant, when Christ goes in and he dies and the the curtain is rent, he says, there's still a place from where I speak that hasn't changed. And that place is open. That place is open. It's not closed anymore. Atonement has been made. Nobody will die. You can come. You can come. I speak from there. And therefore God says, faith comes from hearing. Do you hear? Do we hear? When we hear, somebody else is speaking. God is speaking. The new covenant ministry. God is speaking. Do we hear? Are we satisfied with the holy place ministry? Teaching, 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 teaching. And we are satisfied. That's good. To live a holy life. A righteous life. That is a lot. Righteous man. Struggled with all the ungodly in his righteous soul and struggled every day with his righteous soul but never heard. And the day he heard from two angels, he still doesn't want to leave because he has never has a life of hearing. Well, there is another man who heard from God and God is telling him, can I keep from Abraham what I'm going to do? Two righteous men in a land. And scripture says, when the judgment came upon that land and Lot and his daughters were rescued, wife died. Scripture actually says in the portion, God judged, remembered Abraham and brought Lot out. It had nothing to do with Lot. It had everything to do with that one man, Abraham, who heard. 
Everybody will pray. Everybody will, when the plague is over, they will say, our prayer God heard. You only know whose prayer God actually heard. Might be some wrinkled old lady sitting in some dung hill in China crying out to the Lord because in the spirit she sees what is happening or some poor sister, believing sister in some underground dungeon in Afghanistan or Iran or something whose family has been untouched by the plague is broke. Nobody has died but she is broken before the Lord crying out and God hears her prayers. And every church will say, our chain prayer worked. God says, your chain prayer only brought more chains. More chains. God remembered Abraham and brought Lot out. It's interesting, right? God remembered Abraham and brought Lot out. That's what God is talking about. How do you carry the presence of God? In God's appointed ways. So all these things are not a judgment or a sick sign or a warning or a trumpet call to the world. It's all to the church. And the church should be upset more. Lord, we know what is happening is because of us. The Christians. The Christians. The Christian nation should be weeping and crying. Not other Gentile nations. Gentile nations will put down their head in shame if they know what is happening in so-called Christian nations. What did we make our God into? Is this what he died on the cross for? He gave you freedom. You took that freedom which is an essential core of Christianity called liberty and ran wild with it. Liberty is a Christian concept. What are you praying for? What are we praying for? Do we even know the will of God in this situation to pray for? All we can do is say, Lord, thy will be done. Have no clue, Lord, what your will is. All I do is live. You be glorified, be honored, and be lifted up through this all. Who am I? Can we intercede outside of who God is? That's what Abraham stood before God and said, Lord, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? God said, of course not. 50? No. 40? No. 30? No. 20? No. Then, God said no and walked away. And walked away. You know why? Because this is what I believe. Lot had four daughters. Not two. Four. Two married, two unmarried. Four. And the unmarried ones also probably had boyfriends. So four plus four is eight. Husband and wife. At least ten should be saved. If this man has a testimony. At least ten. Four into two, eight. Plus two, because before that there was eight. Man, wife, three sons and three daughters. All got saved. Eight. So Lot, one righteous man, four daughters. Their husbands and boyfriends. No. Because the men to whom his daughters were married, that's what is written. And they laughed at him. So those men and their daughters didn't come out. Only two unmarried ones came out. So at eight, God said, stop, that's enough. If a man cannot bring his own family to the Lord, leave it, leave it, leave it. It's not, we are not living in today's times. We are living about those times. I have chosen Abraham that he will command his children to follow him. But Lord, let me see what he's done with his children. And God walked away. When we make our intercessions and prayers, do not forget who our God is. Just fall at his mercy. That was David always understood the mercy of God. Mercy. That's what he said. No seven days. No. Let me fall. I'm not even choosing A, B, C. 
All I'm choosing is let me fall into the hands of God. One thing I know, he's merciful. So God said, plague. Not seven years of famine, not before enemies, plague. In appointed time, 70,000 died. That's all we can say, Lord, mercy, 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 Lord. I will not interfere in this and try to change who you are. Who you are. And in Second Samuel chapter 6, Verses 12 to 17 as we close. Now it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the house of obeyed Edom. And all that belongs to him because the ark. That's where interim period, three months it was there. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of obeyed Edom to the city of David with gladness. Earlier it was celebration, now it is gladness. Okay, gladness is bringing. And what's happening? So it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces. Now they are carrying. One step, two step, three step, four step, five step, six steps. Then what is there? Oh, there is a sacrifice. So if you bear the testimony of the living God from Monday to Saturday on Sunday when you come, there is a sacrifice, right? Otherwise the worship leader has to pump and pump and pump. Lift your hands, open your mouths, praise the God. You know what? Monday to Saturday there was no lifting of the ark of God, the presence of God. Six paces. And every seventh one, there was a sacrifice. Now you understand where we struggle? So it was when those bearing, he sacrificed. Look at Old Testament shadows and the substance in the new covenant. Okay, this is what happens. And come further down. Yeah. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. I always tell everywhere. I tell, Please, when you dance, be careful what you are dancing about. What are you dancing about? There are all kinds of dance. Soulish dance, body dance, and spirit dance. Body dance is Herodias and Salome, right? What are their names? Yeah. Yeah. And dance. At the end of the dance, here is the prophet's head in a plate. That is the body dance. What does it mean? You will dance during worship. When the word comes, you are not hearing. The voice of prophet is cut off in your life. But you like worship. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But you can't hear the voice of God. You can't sit for the preaching. You have to always go out. And all the mind is rolling. But dancing worship, if you see, of course you are better than Herodias. But the prophet's head, the voice of God is in a platter. You shut your ears to it. So you need to realize how you are dancing. And then when good things happen, the dance of the soul. That is Miriam. Thunder, tambourine, hallelujah, Lord. And this rock, the mighty, our God is a warrior, the horse and the chariot here. All that nice. And three days later murmuring, why did he bring us here? We're in the graves in Egypt. Dancing in church and fighting all the way home. That is Miriam. And then there is David. He danced with all his might. And he was wearing a linen effort. He took off his royal robes off. There is only one king in Israel. Let all the world know. I don't care. I don't care what people think of me. There is only one king. And that king is not me. The king is here. His presence is here. I'm just as ordinary as the others. And Saul's daughter looked down. We called his wife and had contempt in her heart. And God said, you have contempt about my son and my worship. I'll shut your womb forever. You will bear no fruit. Because the first fruit of a believer is worship. And if you have contempt on true worship, you will not bear anything in your life. You're dead. Your womb is dead. 
because Hebrews 11 begins by faith. Abel offered a sacrifice, worship. After that, Enoch walked. And after that, Noah built. And then Abraham left. If you do not have the fruit of worship, you will bear nothing else. Because God is not looking for people who do other things. He's looking for a people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And when we hear all these things, we don't get frightened. We just go before God and say, God, I goofed up. My name is Goofy, I goofed up. I hear the truth and I want to change. And now I don't have it into change. I need your grace. I repent. I am sorry. I know my Savior paid the price. Now I need grace to change. You can't, you and I can't change on our own strength. But His grace, that's what by faith we have access to grace. Though I was the least of the apostles, I have worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that is in me made me the greatest apostle. If any man should never have become an apostle and never finished the way he finished, it was Paul. But he understood what grace is. Grace is. He understood what grace is. This is Christianity. True, authentic Christianity. And that's how we read everything that is happening around us. You look at all that. And we say, God, no, I don't want to come, get comfortable speaking to three, four, five people and the camera because it's not in my head at all. I was always, always comfortable with live, real people sitting around. Okay, I'm getting comfortable with the camera. <coughs> not nice. Not nice, James, not nice. You were not made for this. <laughs> you always hid in the baggage. Anyway, God's ways are different. And David Dance before the Lord with all his might. That's how we should end. David danced before the Lord with all his might. And he was wearing a linen effort. He was just like an ordinary man. The king, like an ordinary man. So it doesn't matter what we are in the world. That world, our achievements, accomplishments, give us titles and honor and all. When we come before the Lord like an ordinary man, with all our strength, with all our might, we worship him. Because there's only one king. There are no two kings. My worship is acknowledging I am not autonomous. I am not a king. My worship is acknowledging you are king. I am not king. That's why God looks for worship. That's why Abel is commended because in his act of worship he say, not my way, but your way. I don't understand your way. I cannot even figure out your way. It's very painful for me. I brought up this lamb this whole year. I carried this lamb on my shoulders. It was the tenderest in my fold. Yet my spirit says, this is what you require. So here is it. Have the blood, Lord. It was not easy for Abel to worship, but he worshipped by faith. Worship by faith. The first worshipper representing a shepherd offering his lamb. And a little later, his brother comes and kills the shepherd, signifying what would happen. For 4,000 years, shepherds would offer a lamb and then would raise the hand of a man and would kill the shepherd and offer his blood. Jesus Christ, the shepherd. In Genesis 4, it's all there. It's all there. The lamb and the shepherd who will die for sin. It's all there. So we shall pray. We will pray. 
The church has to return back to its original ways of God as shown in the Bible. We can't fool around God after this virus is gone. We need to get back with God and say, Lord, David said, as Moses said, teach me your ways. Show me your paths. God said, my presence shall go with thee and I will give you rest. Every day. The Bible says in Hebrews 4, we have to labor to enter into that rest. We have to struggle with our inner man, fight our flesh to retain that presence of God in our life and see that we are walking in his presence because there is rest only in his presence. The virus doesn't bother us. The quarantine doesn't bother us. The lockdown doesn't bother us. Grocery shops shut doesn't bother us. Supermarkets closed doesn't bother us because in his presence there is rest. And he said, come to me, I will give you rest. Father, we just come to you this evening, Lord. All of us here and all who are watching from wherever they are, Lord, your children. Some of them, if they do not know you, I pray they will cast that burden of sin at your feet. Because they don't have to bear it. You bore it on the cross for them. That they would call upon the name of Yeshua. The only name. Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. And there will begin a journey when you will start moving things in your life. Where they will come to true repentance and salvation. But it all begins with a simple cry. Yeshua, save me. One cry. Heaven will move on your behalf to save you from eternal fire to eternal glory. Teach us, Lord, through this quarantine, lockdown, whatever we call, we call it as fasting and prayer. Spending time in your presence with our families. With you above all. A time of peace and restoration. A time of being in the threshing floor. Allowing God to use his winnowing fan on us. Removing the chaff and the wheat. Allowing the, the, the oxen to tread us out. So everything that is unpleasant in your sights will be removed one by one by one. How painful it may be. So that one day we can bear the very glory presence of God upon our shoulders wherever we go. And one day we can truly, truly worship you with all our might, all our strength before our King. With abandon. With joy, with celebration. That's the intention behind all this, Lord. We see the plague differently. That's the intention. We cry for mercy. Mercy. Mercy for India. Mercy for Hyderabad. Mercy for Telangana. Mercy for all the nations. Mercy. Mercy, Lord. Let people not die without knowing you. Death doesn't hold any fear for us. Our prayer is let no one die without knowing you, without hearing about you. 
Because your word says it is not your will. You do not desire any man to perish. You don't desire that. Not even the wickedest of wicked. Even Manasseh who filled the streets of Jerusalem with blood, when he repented, you brought him back. And he walked humbly before you the rest of his days. That's the God. We, we cannot fathom your mercy. As we cannot understand your holiness, your righteousness and your consuming fire, we cannot understand your mercy too, Lord. We would have chopped Manasseh's head off. But you restored him. So all we can say, Lord, thy will be done on earth as it is heaven. Thy will. And have mercy, Lord. Mercy, 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 mercy. When you walked on earth, you were the most compassionate human being ever. And I pray you reach out, O oh Lord. Touch people in your compassion and mercy at their point of need. Wherever they are struggling for breath in an ICU. Yes, the coronavirus is before our eyes, but there are others suffering more than the coronavirus. It's cancer and other diseases, HIV, AIDS. They all have been ignored. But you have not ignored anybody. Pray, Lord, you reach out and touch people at their point of need. People struggling with sickness or emotional problems, suicidal thoughts. Whatever they are struggling with, Lord, there is only one answer in heaven. That is Jesus of Nazareth. I pray, Lord, reach out and touch your people, Lord. Touch your people, touch your people. Release them, set them free. Whatever bondage is. And if enemy has bound people who are listening, I command powers of darkness to release his people now in Jesus' name. Take your hands off. Command every demonic entity to leave people who are crying out while they are watching now. Leave now in Jesus' name. Now. Leave now. There are people who were in the circle crying out, leave now. Baphomet, go down into the abyss now. Go now. Go down now. Along with all your demons, leave. Leave. Every occult, every spell, every demon released. By wizards and warlocks and witches. I send them back right to you. It will not come near us. It will not come near any of our dwelling places. It will not come near our spouses or our children. They are under the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood. Every occult will fall to the ground. Every spell will fall to the ground. Every witchcraft will fall to the ground. And the demons you released will come back and destroy yourself. Your word says, O Lord, even if evil hand joins with evil, it shall not prevail. It shall not prevail. It shall not prevail because you have given us power and authority to trample every snake and every scorpion. You said you shall handle snakes. They shall not harm you. We are snake killers because our brother Jesus is a destroyer of the serpent. So you will all fall to the ground. You will either repent or you will die. You have no power over us. We are not afraid. Because there is no fear in us. Because death itself has been overcome on the cross. There's nothing you can do to us. 
nothing you can do to us. Every day, every minute, every hour for us is a celebration of our salvation and our victory in Christ Jesus. And our word says he takes us in triumph in Christ Jesus. My Christ is a man of war. From generation to generation he has fought battles. He has never lost a war. In the book of Genesis, it been Abraham with 318 servants defeated four armies. It was the man of war who was leading that army. He defeated them. From there till revelation when he comes with his saints, crowned with many crowns, and the word will go out like a sword and destroy his enemies. My Lord has never ever lost a battle. He does not know what defeat is. And even today, you are a defeated foe. Because my word says, your head, that is Satan, that the God of peace shall soon crush Satan under our feet. So will all his minions. You are defeated. And I proclaim the defeat of the enemy. Now, the lives of his people. Let everyone who is addicted to some sin, let the power of sin be broken over your life in the name of Jesus. Let those addicting demons leave you now in the name of Jesus. Whether it is sex, pornography, whatever I see, the cry in your heart, leave now in Jesus' name. Your demons of lust, your demons of anger will leave God's people in the name of Jesus. Hatred and bitterness, leave. Leave in Jesus' name. We are the temple of the living God. There's no space for uncleanness or hatred or jealousy or envy or anger or pride. Nothing. Leave. Leave God's people in Jesus' name. Wherever you are in your rooms, put your hand on your head right now. Repeat with me. I surrender my body, my soul and my spirit. To Jesus Christ. I am the temple of the living God. There is no room for anything here. Everything that is unclean will leave in Jesus name. Father I take authority in the name of Jesus. And I pray now that the fire of the Holy Spirit fall and cleanse everyone Lord. Starting with me. Every one of us by faith let fire, fire fire that John the Baptist said I am not worthy to untie the thongs of his sandals. The one that comes after me shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Let that cleansing fire cleanse your people wherever they are sitting in their rooms, in their homes whichever nation, whichever country let the fire cleanse and remove everything that is demonic in their lives. Nothing. Let fire cleanse. Let them be holy in your sight Lord. Pure and holy. And as they hear and meditate and worship, fill them with yourself. Let it not remain empty. Fill them with yourself. Let every person become a true abode of God himself, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We praise you. We worship you. We glorify you, Lord. Believing the word, the blood, the spirit has sanctified and cleansed us. In your presence, we lift up holy hands. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. And we proclaim thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever and ever. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen and amen and amen. God bless you.